Hello, good morning, and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show, radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. I don't know what the deal is, Benny. I feel like I want to go back to bed. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the days are starting to get shorter now, right? I can feel fall in the air. I was noticing. Can you smell it a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Not after yesterday. It was pretty warm yesterday. Oh, yesterday was gorgeous. But, you know, right in the middle of a session with somebody, she looked out the window and she went, oh, oh. There's a squirrel, and yep, there was a squirrel right <laughs> that, outside that considered on the, the first tiniest <laughs> little branch that had some 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 something at the end of the branch it wanted to eat. It was hanging by its foot and its He's tail. He's starting to pack up for the winter. He's saving his nuts. He's saving his nuts, and he gave <laughs> he gave us both a look like, "What are you looking at?" Yep, <laughs> like this nothing is, to see here. There's nothing to see here. This has nothing to do with you. This is mine, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's it's starting to kind of feel that way. Yeah, there it is. It 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 changes. It moves on, and we are at the end of August. Yeah, which is just can't even it's comprehend like that. it. Nope, can't comprehend it. Anyway, I am Loretta Brown. I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis, located right here in the greater Seattle area. And um, I have um, <clears throat> I have uh, some things coming up in September. A Crystal Bowl concert will be Sunday evening, September 22nd at Bali Yoga in Kirkland. And I'm going to do a public apology. I goofed something up. I've never done this before. <gasps> what? I know. Saturday night, we, uh, uh, Bali Yoga and Smamish had me scheduled for a Crystal Bowl concert and Somehow I didn't get the memo. So Aww. my sincere, but everyone's okay. Yeah, okay. everyone's okay. But my sincere apologies to Aww. everybody if you're listening and happens. And I've just never done that before. So I will be there uh, September 22nd at Bali Yoga in Kirkland. Get tickets through them, and we love the Crystal Bowl concert. So I hope you'll come out. Good. Yep. Also, every month I do a monthly class with women called the Temple of the Divine Feminine. It is a super wonderful healing experience, and oh, I don't know. You do these things, and you you draw closer. You create community. So, um, in September, we will be meeting the last Saturday of September, September twenty eighth, and um, <clears throat> the reason it is the last Saturday of September is because I will be gone for a while. I'm headed out to a pilgrimage. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry, Benny. I will think of you. From... <laughs> I'm only. It's so hard to keep it. I didn't want you to talk about it. Oh my God, Benny, you're awesome. Um, and I'm you done. are. Now I'm over it. <laughs> now you're over now it. Now over it. Didn't take long. <laughs> Well, <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Because that did you, my heart you. good to know thank that you. you will miss me. I'm an actor. I'm an yes. Actor. Thank you. Yes, thank you. you are. <laughs> thank you. Like a switch. Emotionally, you turn it on and off. Not really. Well, um, we, you will be missed regardless. I will I'll be. Just say yes. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. You're I welcome. appreciate that. And, and of course, I'll miss all of you. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to walk the Kora around Mount Kailash and uh, in uh, the, the Tibetan area of China. And so Sweet. I know. So I will be a traveling little gal here in this next year. I know. I got a lot of things going on because yeah. Egypt is coming up. That's another mm-hmm. my, my points there. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I organize a spiritual trip and I will be taking a group of people to Egypt February 19 through March 4. And um, it, it finally impressed upon Benny last week. We actually 
<laughs> this is a small group of people. There's about a dozen of us, and we have a private yacht. We have uh, private accommodations, <laughs> oh, top-notch yeah. five-star accommodations everywhere we go. <laughs> and, and we basically set it up the, so that when we go through the temples, we're basically the only ones in the temples. So if you want to be part of my sacred uh, soul tribe. In a yacht, people. <laughs> Do you? Did you not hear her when she said that? A yacht. A yacht. Yep, I've right. never said that before for myself, <laughs> but I could say it with her, a yeah. yacht. Yeah, people are always amazed. They go, oh, my goodness, there's a hot tub on this. <laughs> on a yacht. <laughs> that is amazing. You can order any food you want. I mean, they'll accommodate you within reason. Let's put it that way. But, Actually, uh-huh. if you don't mind me interrupting, they do rent hot tub boats, unlike Washington. They do? They do. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you the link. Okay, send me the link because yep. that could be a thing. I think it's the coolest thing oh, I've, I've ever seen. That's another thing I need to like check off the bucket list too. Yeah, it is. I ha- I have to tell you that I went sailing uh, with a couple of girlfriends a while back, and on the and we had a great time. We actually, of course, yeah, we actually did it through a Groupon. I, you know, but um, hey, save some dollars. Save some mm-hmm. dollars. Yeah, we had a great time. We took along some food and some drinks and sailed all the way across and back and, cool. and it was it was awesome it's sounds well lovely, worth darling. it <laughs> i know sounds lovely <laughs> i think we should do that later today or this weekend you know before the weather gets too crazy mm-hmm. get back out there and enjoy it and rent a yacht and rent a yacht <laughs> yes or or go to egypt with loretta yeah. Yeah, by the way if yeah, you're yeah, interested yeah. in that egypt trip just send a uh, email send it to loretta brown and uh, send it to Reiki Oasis at gmail.com, and I will get you the information for that. We did uh, record a show with Hatem Ali, the director of tourism for Egypt Gate Travel, a couple of weeks ago. You can take a look at that, and we talk more about it. So, anyway, yeah, you can find out about everything at ReikiOasis.com, and, of course, you can sign up at schedule.ReikiOasis.com, thanks to my webmaster, Indigo Hawk. You're awesome. And we are a listener-supported show, and thank you to everyone that has, uh, contributes uh, some monies to keep us on the air because this airtime is not free, and I am so grateful, 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 grateful. I know Benny is too, and we just love to be on the air and bring you amazing shows like what's going to happen today. I'm still going to miss you. I know. I'm going to miss you, Benny. I'll send you, like, Love from the top of the world. That's cool. Can you have like a little flag or a like I, sign that says "Wish Benny, <gasps> wish you were here." I am totally oh, gonna do, do that, Benny. I am totally doing that. Yes. Yep, it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And I'll or send I can it. put my face on a little stick for you, like you know, you can yeah. <laughs> Benny's here too. I have Benny stick, stick me in the in the snow. Is oh, there snow I up there? There could be. Oh, okay. It's unpredictable in September. So there could be like a volcano erupting at that point. There could be. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. You be careful. Yeah, the the reality is that we'll be up high at at the 16 to 18,000 foot level and if it snows it will close the pass, but hmm. um it September is usually pretty okay. Starting okay. October, you know, it's it, a quiet time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Well, you know, it uh Mount Kailash is supposedly the abode of Lord Shiva, and it doesn't matter if you listeners understand all this or not, but there is this idea that if you're called to go do something, that you will be supported in that. And I have um, experienced that repeatedly in my life to where, okay, this is outside my comfort zone a little bit, but um, I'm okay, and you get through it on the other side, and you undergo some sort of a transformation, which... By the way, we're going to talk a lot about that sort of 
transformation. Um, You're going all the way to the top? No, only oh, okay. to 18,000 feet. You can't actually climb Mount oh. Kailash. It's I'm looking at it right now. Mountain. I'm like, dang, girl. Yeah, I know. It's like 21,000 plus. Yeah, I'm only going up to 18,000 and then slide down the path. And slide the down. Yeah. yeah. The other side. Bring yeah. your saucer with you. Yeah, yeah. I have no, uh, <laughs> I, I, I really mean this, like, I have no ultimate dignity. Like, if I have to slide down someplace, I'll slide, right? You know, That's get a long down. way down. <laughs> It looks amazing, by the way. If you ever want to check out the mountain, online, it's, it's gorgeous. It's, it is. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna have a great trip. Yeah, you're gonna have a great trip. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go do this, and um, yeah, I'll let y'all know how it is. I am sending what's called transmissions from the top of the world. This mm-hmm. is where mm-hmm. I do channeled um, meditations and and gather the energy and actually send the energy to you through the transmission. I've done this before. I do it on all my trips. If you're interested in receiving those transmissions, please send an email to ReikiOasis at gmail.com. And uh, do it quickly because I'm leaving in a couple of days and I'm doing what I can to make sure I've got some kind of Wi-Fi coverage. Um, but when we get out into the remote areas, I can't guarantee a thing. You know, So we'll, we're, we're in a tour. I mean, I'm with a group of people that I know, and it's a good group of people. Um, you you do not want to travel there by yourself. You just number one, I don't think you can do it, and number two, you shouldn't do it. You should always do these things with uh, people who are trained and know what they're doing. There you go. Yep. Safety first. Safety first. It's most important, right? So um, yeah. Uh, I- anyway, send your good thoughts, send your candles and your prayers, and and think of me up there running around. And always, always, I'm always hoping. I'm I'm always a s- seeker or searcher for some sort of um, transformation within my own self. And I realize that sometimes life will bring us those transformations, and sometimes we seek them. And uh, both of those work for our favor in some capacity or another. And boy, that just opens up a whole big dialogue, which I'll open up in just a moment with my guest. But um, I'm always amazed how what I'm talking about in the beginning segues into the show. So before I bring on my guest, a very quick astrology check-in because I have to say this. Did anybody say Virgo? Virgo. Like say Virgo. Because on August 18th, Mars entered Virgo. And on August 21st, Venus entered Virgo. And on August 23rd, the sun entered Virgo. And today, August 29th, Mercury joins the Virgo club and moves into Virgo. How many is that? Four? It's up there. Who would have thunk it anyways? (laughs) (laughs) I see a trend happening. So um, if you're a Virgo, woo, yay for you. And if you're not a Virgo, guess what? You're going to be seeing the world like a Virgo, acting like a Virgo, feeling like a Virgo, (laughs) thinking like a Virgo. (sighs) Hashtag trending Virgo. And if if that's not enough, (laughs) guess what? Tomorrow, August 30th. We have a new moon in. Oh, guessed it. Virgo. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Virgo. Wow. There you go. So <laughs> this <laughs> this makes five personal planets in Virgo. <laughs> you Virgo people, my goodness. I just, I think we are all going to just bow to you. You're going to have stars on your head or something. Uh, but it's pretty unusual. And what is really great about this is that um, this is a great thing. Uh, Mercury in Virgo, by the way, loves that place. It's the very best place for any type of intellectual pursuit. And along with this, we also have a whole bunch of um, planets in Earth signs. 
And so what this means is that if you want to manifest something in your life, you don't need to worry about woo-woo stuff. You just need all these planets in Virgo because this is all about manifestation. And, and Virgo in its own way is going to get it done. Now, the, the interesting part is this new moon makes no negative aspects with other planets, which again doesn't happen very often. So everything's harmonious. And this is a huge green light from the universe to put your goals into action. The new moon in Virgo is unusually creative. And you might not think of Virgos as being creative, but many artists have strong Virgo placements. And this, like I said, is because Virgo makes things happen. So if you have a book or a creative project inside you, it's Virgo who has the discipline to bring that book or that creation to life. So I just want to like go, yay, Virgo. So th this fantastic news, you're going to get things done. So if you have something you've been wanting to do or get done, you've got something you've been procrastinating on or sitting around on, you are going to get to, to have the energy, the discipline, the tenacity, the focus to just Virgo get it done. Yeah, like running <laughs> off to China and climb a yeah, 21,000-foot 20, right. elevation I mountain. feel like Virgo's you know, it happens. Like, I'm like holding it, the girl. hand to Virgo coin. Yeah, Come on, do girl. It. Let's go. That's right. Oh, my God. It sounds so fun. So I know. Fun. It's amazing. It's amazing. So now, with all that segue, my guest has been waiting patiently. Yeah, take charge. Yeah. My guest today is Dr. Frank Paschuti, Ph.D. He's a licensed clinical psychologist, a certified hypnotherapist, chairman of the Institutional Review Board at the Monroe Institute. He's many, many other things. And he is the author of Chrysalis Crisis. How life chrysalis. or chrysalis. Yes. I was just thinking about mm -hmm. that. Did I say that right? Thank you. Picked yeah. up on mm -hmm. that with your telepathy. Mm -hmm. Chrysalis crisis, like like a cocoon, like a like a butterfly. How life's ordeals can lead to personal and spiritual transformation. Welcome to the show, Frank, and thanks for your patience as we went through all of that. That was really great to hear, though. I thank you for having me on. I just want to say before we get started, I am a Virgo. Oh, <laughs> Of course you are. Four of those planets were in place when I was born 68 years ago on Labor Day at 4.44 a.m. No, so I am really? Totally like, wow. I, was, I am totally like tuned into that Virgo energy right now. Oh. And I also went to Tibet, and I had a wonderful, wonderful time there years ago. Did so you? I hope you have a great trip. Yeah, Thank wonderful you. stuff. Well, you know, I I am just blown away. I do say this a lot, but there is some sort of divine timing to when my guests are on the show. So thank you for bringing your beautiful Virgo energy to our already over-inundated Virgo-ishness. And um, I'm not a Virgo, so I really could use this energy. Thank you. So Happy to be here. You were born at 444 a.m. That's very numero numerologically amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting time, uh, and I thought it was appropriate for me to show up on Labor Day. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. I had a sense of humor. My spirit has a sense of humor as to when it wanted to drop in. I love that. Yeah, you're still doing that, aren't you? You're still causing Happy little... early birthday, by the yeah, way. Yeah, happy birthday. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I've got, I'll, what day is it? It's the 3rd. The 3rd? Okay, I'll celebrate mm -hmm. that for you. I'll put, uh, I'll put a little candle up into the ethers while I'm over there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, Frank, can you tell 
us a little bit about yourself. I have your beautiful book in front of me, Chrysalis Crisis, right? But can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What led you to write this book? Well, I have been a clinical psychologist for about 45 years. But for a longer period of time in my life, I have been intrigued by the paranormal, anomalous experiences, and you know, all kinds of psychic abilities. I grew up in a family that has uh, studied Rosicrucianism, and we were always into very intellectual sort of pursuits about understanding, you know, cosmology and making sense out of, you know, uh, psychic experiences. My grandfather came over from Italy and was influenced by the uh, spiritualist movement in Europe. And so I grew up in a family that had a lot of beliefs at the same time being raised in a Catholic um, uh upbringing in the 50s and 60s in, in the inner city of Newark, New Jersey. So I've always had it in the back of my mind to try to understand some of these phenomena, including some uh, experiences that I had uh, earlier in my life. And yet, the place I went to to try to understand it all was the field of psychology. Mm. Uh, and so over the years, I've been trying to make sense out of where does conventional psychological understanding, how can it bra- embrace you know, intuitive psychic faculties and and also, you know, spiritual experiences people have, like near-death experiences where they actually, or out-of-body experiences where they experience themselves outside their bodies and being aware and mind separation from brain. So the book itself tries to build a bridge and embraces a very broad spectrum of experiences. It can be sort of self-helpy in that there's some very conventional ways in which I address dimensions in the book, like emotion and mastering emotion, physicality, uh, uh, social development, and a lot of other areas. I have 10 of them that I identify. But I wanted to be able to break it broad enough so that I could also talk about some of these psychic and spiritual experiences. And I treat them all through the, uh, through the lens of crisis, because crisis um, tends to ena- enable uh, these experiences or these areas of development to get uh, amplified, and so people will really zero in on them with the stories that you know maybe fleshes out one or another of these key areas. But there's a lot of interdependence among them too. So that was the reason I wrote the book. I love that. Uh, I'm very fascinated also with what I call this um, uh, connecting space between uh, the psychology and these paranormal things, like you know, like with past life. Uh, regressions, and and I know you do hypnotherapy. You do a lot of past life regression work, also. I do, and I have. Yeah. I don't purely just hang a shingle to have people show up and do a past life regression, right. but I will if I'm working with them, even in a more conventional way. And I feel like there's something that is not a- able to be identified, at least even through regular hypnotic, you know, uh, regression work that seems to be influencing them, either in terms of key themes in this life or physical experiences they're having. Sometimes I will say, let's see if we can go further back. And usually at that point, people are comfortable with me. And often these stories come forward. And usually they're very powerful emotionally and vivid, and they have insight. And usually it has a lot of uh, physical components to it. So I integrate it within the therapy that I do. So, um, yeah, I, I, um, I, I like using it. It's a powerful tool. I've learned a lot of it, a lot about myself through being on the other side of the couch in regards to working mm. with people who've mm-hmm. trained me. And so um, it can be for the right people at the right time, just what they need to get the depth of insight they have to have about what's going on in their lives. 
Um, I I like that. I I've, it raises a whole bunch of uh, questions that are in my mind. I'm trying to figure out how to how to verbalize it. When uh, when people are having these experiences, I'll just say uh, spiritual and psychic experiences, and and even to include a, a past life event that comes through. Um, how does that? Uh, how do you, how do you quantify that? How does that help them in current life? Well, that's an excellent question, and and w- this is why I use the crisis as the lens because mm. one of the subspecialties mm-hmm. I have in my practice, because of the the very uh, the the, the, the uh, organizations around here that draw people to them who have you know anomalous paranormal experiences, um, I have come to learn to work with a number of people who go through spiritual emergencies, and they are typically precipitated by. Um, you know, by having a breakthrough of a past life memory or, or, or beholding the spirit of a recently deceased person or having a near-death experience, much more common these days, mm-hmm. um, or having a psychic experience, having a dream, a premonition that uh, comes through or clairvoyant. So um, that is the spiritual emergency. What I tried to do with the book is say, hey, it's just another form of crisis awakening in you another dimension of who you are, another realm of potential. That Just like you have the ability to feel and think and, and be social, you also have the ability, you have these latent inherent abilities for psychic capacity as well as the capacity to experience spirit separate, your own and others, from physicality. So um, when people come in with spiritual emergencies, they're often... The first question frequently is, am I losing my mind? Am I mm-hmm. going crazy? I had this mm-hmm. experience. I've never heard about it. I heard about it, but I didn't believe it or whatever. And oftentimes, in so many ways, this book provides an explanatory model for them also. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask, like, what is a spiritual emergency? And, and how, how, do we, how do we know if we're in one? <laughs> Or if yeah. we're in a crisis, right? Like, um, <laughs> I love that. Am I crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? Years ago, the person, one of the two people who started, one of the three people who started the the, uh, uh, the organization that studied psychic phenomena, was um, uh, Frederick Myers, and along with William James, mm. who you know of, who is also considered the father of American psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, Myers was a brilliant man, and he he said, you know, there are um, there are those areas in life which we would say normal functioning. And there's people who have experiences who we would say, you know, they're functioning in a sort of abnormal way. And that is true, because there's areas where people are not functioning well. He said, but there's the, the confusion sometimes is when people have anomalous psychic experiences, they get wrongfully identified as abnormal. Mm-hmm. They're not as normal, they're because a lot of, you know, they're not as well sort of widely experienced as most, you know, of the normal areas. But they're not abnormal, they're supernormal. So on the continuum, mm-hmm. and he, even para in parapsychology in Greek means alongside of. So in my book, I talk about, well, alongside normal on one side is abnormal, but alongside normal on the other side is supernormal. So I'll try to say to people, you have within the realm of capacity of consciousness, supernormal capacities. And you, I imagine, Loretta, already experienced numbers of those when you talk about you know, having you know, the gifts of being able to be an intuitive or a sensitive or you know, uh, empath, those are more supernormal kinds of experiences. But I think, and, and Frederick Meyer said this, he said that there'll be a day in our evolution of humanity where the supernormal will become more normal mm. as we all evolve and embrace those more consciously. 
So you use you're using the words supernormal and paranormal and normal and abnormal. Wow, uh, that is what we're trying to navigate, isn't it? Yeah. I yeah, I yeah. think so. And you know, when somebody comes in, I, I somebody I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they were saying, you know, I feel like I. I might be crazy. And I said, the fact that you can come in here and say to me, I wonder if I'm crazy because I'm <laughs> thinking that this happened. I said, that's usually indicative right out, of the, right out of the gate that you're not. If you came in and said, I think I've had this experience where I beheld, you know, a light in Jesus. And, and, um, and, I, and I'll say, well, that's pretty exceptional and kind of a blessing to have that experience. But if you come in here and say, I am Jesus, I'm going to say, well, you know, you may share that consciousness, <laughs> but, you know, that does sound like we need to do a little more digging to find out why what's going on there. So it's a difficult diagnosis, if you will. I don't mean diagnosis is like giving everybody a label, but sometimes people are delusional, or, and there are people who are schizophrenic, and it's unfortunate that there's people who go through manic, psychotic episodes. And But even, even a spiritual emergency can present like a transient psychotic episode, because it's so out of the norm that people get really dis they just really get disintegrated for a while, and sometimes you need to say, okay, well, you're really not, this is not a long-term thing, but you just kind of opened up more than you can integrate, and so it feels like you've lost control, and we help them get grounded, and we say, okay, now maybe we need to learn how to learn, how to uh, modulate those experiences so you can you can hold on to yourself through them. I really... Um like what you're saying, I, I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's a lot of people out there that work with people in these uh, realms, if I could say that, right? You know, spiritual realms sure. or the psychic realms or whatnot. But, you know, it's really great to have somebody that's as well-trained as you on the show because you're talking from a level that I think about all the time. I, I sometimes have people come into me, and I'm not a, a trained uh, psychotherapist or, or anything like that, right? I have a lot of training, but... Um, you know, I, I'm, some people do have these episodes where they will have like an aha or a lighting up of the brain or the conscious awareness. And they really will come in and say things like I had this experience and they have this sense that they have to save the world or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. How do you, yeah. How do you deal with that? Because that to me is like, okay, we're getting, we're, we're edging off uh, a little bit off to the side here. We're not grounded. We're not we're not really understanding what's happening. How do you deal with that? Well, yeah. there's a concept known as spiritual inflation, okay. where people do have experiences and they become inflated. Even Carl Jung had talked about that. Um, and there's also another concept called spiritual bypass. And one, the, uh, the inflation is that people, if, for instance, I have a lot of insecurities that, I, that uh, have to do with some just pretty much... Um, stuff of this life, you might say, or maybe could be influenced by past life, but also it's just stuff that I'm ungrounded in terms of my sense of identity. That's one of the keys I identify as the 10 keys I talk about in the group, or maybe I'm not grounded and not realizing that, you know, some feelings are starting to contaminate, you know, how I perceive the world that I'm not aware of. So some of these other basic functions can affect how you integrate an exceptional experience like that. And, um, there's a lot of people who will not do the, who do not see the necessity of doing the work in the more foundational areas of their life, understanding more about their beliefs, understanding more about their range of emotions, or understanding more about how they manage their bodies. Some of these basic stuff, and they will want to go right to I want to just be a spiritual person, but it's almost as if they're trying to raise up to the highest level, but they're being held down by 
basic functional stuff that can be fall more within that range of the range of areas that a lot of us struggle with, you know, relational, social, you name it. And um, and so they can't really run around that and just say, I want to run into, you know, just being purely, you know, a very high spiritual person. So if they have an exceptional experience, that may not exempt them from having that experience, but how they integrate that will mm-hmm. be predicated on mm-hmm. how they were functioning before. Ah. And then it, it implicates everything else about their development. And so you got, if I come into see me, I'll say, well, okay, you know, that was a beautiful experience. And, and so why is it, though, that you think because you had that? Maybe I'll normalize. Like, for instance, when I was about 16, I had a precognition. My mom, I shared it with her. She was a significant influence in my life. And another uncle, both of whom I dedicated the book to, they were both, they had read a lot. They both had their own experiences. Their father was the one who brought in this whole notion about psychic phenomena and spiritualist movement. And my mom said, well, you know, you had a precognition. So big deal. Not big deal, but don't. Go get carried away with yourself. Mm-hmm. That's quite, mm-hmm. that's a, you're attuned to that. You know that we believe that's a possibility, and you actually had your own experience, and it validated for you that these things are real, that they're not just, you know, wonderful ideas. But mm-hmm. it's sort of like the implication. It was stay grounded and don't get overly inflated about it. You know, just know that, make note of it, and realize that, you know, that was a wonderful opportunity to see that time and space may not work exactly how you think, you know. that's That's a great comment. So this is Loretta Brown. We're going to take a station break. My guest today, Dr. Frank Paschuti, Chrysalis Crisis. Is that right? Okay, mm-hmm. good. That's the name of his book. And I love this conversation um, where we're touching that space between psychology and, and the paranormal. Anyway, we will be right back. Don't go away. Energy is powerful. It's all around us, mysterious, full of potential. Directing positive healing energy to raise your vibrational rate through Reiki can change your life. Reiki master Loretta Brown has relieved stress, sadness, anger, and even helped clients lose weight, stop smoking, and end sleep disorders. Worldwide, people have sought out Reiki Oasis. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 a.m. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. What's one of your favorite memories? Hmm, let's see. Well, there was this one time I went snorkeling in the Caribbean when I was a kid. It really just blew my mind. I mean, when you're sitting on the beach, it's so peaceful and you sort of forget there's a whole other world under there just full of all kinds of life. We saw the most beautiful corals. I remember thinking they were waving at us as they moved with the ocean. And then there were all these amazing fish. They kind of reminded me of tropical birds. They were so bright and colorful, just darting all over the place like birds in the sky. I'll never forget it. It completely changed the way I look at the ocean. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. Exploring new territory every day. This is Alternative Talk 1150. I like that music, Benny. 
it's making me feel mountainous or something. Oh. <laughs> Not exactly. Not what I was exactly. Going for, but it's close. It's okay. fine. It's just got kind of like you know an, an immersion or or I love it. evolution of evolution of, of something. Yeah, it's a stretching of the consciousness. There you go. I like it. Anyway, this is Loretta Brown and uh, my guest today, Frank Pashuti, Ph.D. We're talking about his new book, Chrysalis Crisis. And Frank, I got to ask you, what what is a chrysalis crisis, and where did you get the title for this book? I mean, you've got a lovely sure. butterfly on the cover. Yeah. Well, it came from a story I read about a little girl, and I started the book off with this in the preface, a little girl who was, you know, noticing in her backyard a caterpillar who was uh, forming up a cocoon and became intrigued by it and would go in the backyard and watch the progression. And then one day she was back there and she, you know, the caterpillar, you know, apparently went through the metamorphosis stage inside the cocoon. And now it's a butterfly, and it's trying to break out and free itself from the cocoon. And she's noticing it's flapping its wings, and it's struggling. And she starts looking at it and feels like, oh, it's trying to get out of there. And she goes to try to help it, and she touches its wings, Mm -hmm. and it falls down and dies, and she's devastated. So she goes inside feeling really sad, and she tells her mom what happened. And her mom says, sweetheart, she said, the butterfly had to struggle to free itself from the cocoon because not only does it help it emancipate away from the cocoon, but it strengthens its wings so it can fly. And I thought, isn't that beautiful? As we try to disengage and and separate from these crises in our lives, the very areas we struggle with that help us heal and help us integrate these crises are the very things that help us be stronger for the rest of our flight through life. So when you separate, say, from a crisis where maybe, let's say, the loss of a spouse or somebody you love and part of the healing requires that you're able, that you need to get in touch with feelings of sadness or, or fear or even anger, maybe. If you're somebody who never really had much awareness of feelings, for example, and as a result of that crisis, you know, once you kind of get grounded and you're through the initial, you know, trauma of the whole thing, it may very well be that you need to learn how to be aware and register and experience your feelings. And in the, in the long run, we need to be able to have access to our feelings for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. So as an example of how the crisis may precipitate the struggle to grow in certain ways that in the long run were necessary for us to keep evolving. I like the way you explain that. I have people ask me all the time, do we have to struggle? Like, does it have to be so difficult? And um, I guess, how, how would you answer that? Do we have to struggle? Well, you know what? This, I, I, you know, the couple of realities that I think we face is that everything is always going to be change, and there are, is going to be suffering in life. It doesn't have to be constant, and the change doesn't always have to be always constant. But there is. I mean, a Buddhist philosophy would be, you know, there's going to be suffering in life. And it's not that, you know, I think I was in a great, but I think, you know, I, even in therapy, you know, there's research to show that when people come into psychotherapy, the best use of psychotherapy is usually predicated on how much pain they're in when they show up. Mm. It's like it gets your attention and you're motivated to change. Otherwise, sometimes people who aren't really prompted or curious about the process, but there's nothing really that's, you know, that's really uh, pressing heavily on them. They might want to come in and, or others might just say, help me learn how to stay the same and, you know, deal with the situation, but it's so uncomfortable to change. But, you know, pain gets your attention, yeah. you know, and so... We hope we don't have to have it. I mean, it doesn't. You don't necessarily need to suffer to develop the ten keys I identify in the book. I mean, you can pursue growth without being under duress. 
But when you are and you're not aware that there's areas in your life that maybe you've not examined, areas that are critical to your own continued growth and development that maybe are getting activated or coming to the table mm-hmm. because of the crisis, it mm-hmm. may be the very thing. You may look back when you're out of the storm and say, wow, that was a painful time in my life, but boy, did I grow a lot. Yeah, and um, I'm also thinking about a lot of people suffer mindlessly or or without understanding. Maybe you don't have the understanding until you get through the crisis to the other side, but uh, yeah, there is something about that crisis that brings things to the surface. Now, you talk about these these 10 keys, right? You, like your book, just for the listeners, your book is um, divided into three different sections, right? And you've got mm-hmm. 10, 10 keys, and you say that you've noticed that people all share certain areas of struggle. Can you talk a little bit about these uh, three sections of your book and the, and the 10 keys? Just give us a sure. little idea what's really well, going on in your book. Yeah. Well, actually, and, and not to be correcting you, there's four sections. The first three ah, cover the sections. 10 keys. Thank the fourth you. one is more about uh, techniques and methods and integration and overview of how they all come together. But the, the first section are what I call foundational keys, and it's, it implicates the area of physicality, intellectual, physical development, mastering the whole physical dimension of life, which includes not only as much as you can your body, but your physical world, your finances, the need for shelter, the need to just get the physical dimension of life in the best place you can. Then there's the intellectual dimension, which is not only the continued acquisition of new information, but also examining beliefs that you operate on. So looking at that as, as, a, as a part of an area where you can grow. Emotionally, I mentioned that already, is the whole area of, hey, I need to learn to be aware of all my feelings so I can experience them appropriately, manage them, you know, modulate them when necessary, but be able to have them uh, be mindful and aware of them. Then there's the social area where, they, you know, you have an intellectual IQ, you have an emotional IQ, you have a social IQ. And so that may be an area that is lacking, but maybe in the aftermath of a crisis, or it might be a social crisis, or you might need to learn how to open up more to people and, and functioning groups in ways in which maybe you never did, but the crisis may prompt you to do. And then the other area in the foundational section is moral development. And it's more about if you get in trouble because you weren't aware of things that you were doing unconsciously or otherwise, sometimes being alert to you know ways in which maybe uh, certain moral areas have been compromised and create a crisis in your life. The second section is a more personal section, and that is the three keys I identify there are identity, how you see yourself, uh, and that identity can change throughout the life cycle, and it can expand beyond the life cycle. It can be, you know, my identity as a male, as an Italian male, as a male, as an American. It could be I'm a psychologist, a father, a husband, but it also can be I'm a child of God, or I am part of this consciousness, and I am multi-lived, you know, and um, the next one is intimacy, and intimacy, I... What I mean by that is less, you know, about sexual intimacy as much as I'm talking about the capacity to share, the capacity to reveal the self to others, to go deeper, to learn how to make deep connection by being willing to be vulnerable and open. Uh, And then the third in that area is existential growth, which, you know, that also changes. That implicates, you know, the meaning and purpose I find in life, dealing with issues about death, the big the big existential issues of freedom, responsibility, sometimes those get implicated from a crisis. The third section I call transpersonal, and there's where I put the areas that I was talking about earlier that may be precipitated by a spiritual emergency. I have two, two areas. One I just, I just identify as intuitive 
because I like, you know, Carl Jung's notion of perception as being either sensorial-based, you know, objective senses, seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, feeling, or intuitive, which is more unconscious and indirect. And a lot of times psychic faculties come more through impressions and images and indirectly by way of our own unconscious. Um, and so that's an area that I put in transpersonal. It's almost beyond the self. It's almost or it's beyond our usual range. And then the last is spiritual in that section, third section. And by that, I don't mean religious as much as I mean experiences of spirit directly. You can be a non-religious person and have a near-death experience. You could be a person who says, you know, I'm either a Buddhist, Catholic, Muslim, whatever, but I also had this moment where after my close relative died, I saw their spirit, or I had an out-of-body experience. Sometimes people have them, they just find themselves projected out. I've had people who've been sexually abused say they were up in the corner of the room watching it go on. How mm-hmm. is it that I was outside my body looking at that? Mm-hmm. So uh, there's many ways, you know, maybe they have an encounter with somebody who's uh, who's a, a legitimate medium who puts them in touch with somebody who's passed on, but they're, or they're a channel. So these are the areas that I cover, and I try to look at them through the viewpoint of crisis, but they're all, they're all potentially inherent capacities that we all have. So they're all capacities of consciousness, if you will. I thank you. I was thinking while you were talking about, yeah, because we, we can have crises in, in any of these areas. It could be a physical crisis. It could be, uh, uh, you know, around my money. It could be around my, uh, uh, my social growth, right? It could be around my uh, identity. It could be existential. It could be spiritual. All of that, we could have a crisis in any of those areas. And I, I'm assuming we can have crisis in more than one area at a time. Absolutely. And, and here's the thing that I want to piece yeah. together. And the piece, the fourth section of the book, as I say, I think as we all work at this, as I do, uh, all of us do, the better, the more uh, mastery, if you will, we can have of, a, of each of those areas. We then can use them consciously to serve our higher aspirations. So I talk about the keys at a higher octave. Mm. So, for instance, let's say you're talking about I want to get in touch with my spiritual and intuitive faculties. Well, you might need to have enough mastery over the physical to quiet the physical, right? Because, you know, like the tantric uh, school would say that, you know, mind, even though it's one mind, it does split out into ego and physicality on one side and the, and the uh, subtle transpersonal on the other side. So if I want to move to be in touch with the more subtle transpersonal areas, my psychic abilities or direct contact with spirit, I'm going to need to quiet the physical. I'm going to need to quiet the emotional, right? I'm going to not want to have when I'm meditating, all kinds of turbulence, unconscious turbulence, demanding my attention when I'm trying to learn how to just be still. And the same with, you know, some of these other areas. If I have a guilty conscience, Pantajali, who started the School of Yoga 4,000 years ago, said it's really difficult to try to get in touch with your higher self if you're just being constantly gnawed at by things that you're doing morally. And if you're not a sociopath and you have any kind of conscience at all, you're going to probably find when you're being still and meditating, you're going to it's not only going to disrupt your awareness then, but it's going to probably keep you from sleeping well. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ways mm-hmm. uh, even identity and intimacy opens up the door to, to deeper understanding. So you can circle back and say um, learning how to develop and master these keys can also serve my trying to be more aware of that spiritual dimension and enter conscious awareness, consciously be aware and learn how to master these, up, these higher uh, functions. That's a great explanation. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, 
I sometimes have said to people, you know, if if we don't have our basic needs met, which would be like your physical crises, like food and, and clothing and housing and so forth, then how do we actually address our higher consciousness? And they are all related t- together from what I'm hearing you say. You know, one of Absolutely. I, I, I skipped over your question, but you're right. There's a lot of interact. There's a lot of interdependence amongst all of these, including, you know, when you look at the research on psychic abilities, like there are people that I affiliate with here at the university, you know, there's lots of research to show how in attempting to try to develop or even measure or capture like psychic functions like ESP, you know, general kinds of like precognitions or whatnot, that, uh, that you need to quiet some of those other areas. And even if you don't, it's interestingly, if you don't believe that they're legitimate, you'll inhibit their ability. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. a, a need to look at, how. Oh, what are your beliefs here about these things? You know, one of my chapters, I talk about sitting lightly in the saddle of belief, because sometimes you'll find that even though you're entrenched in a set of beliefs, they may actually be getting in your way to expanding and widening your, your awareness of, uh, of the, the range of consciousness you have available to you. Oh, that's a great statement. Uh, you you know, this book is based on your, uh, I'm going to say 40-plus years. I actually am guessing on that number how long you've been doing your work. But um, I'm also thinking, you know, because I run into this sometimes with my clients where they're spending so much time in meditation, so much time pursuing that, and then the crisis is at the living level of life, Right. Or they're spending so much time there, so much time there that they've lost connection. And uh, I guess maybe it's not a question, um, but, yeah, can people spend too much time in those uh, psychic spiritual realms to where they're losing touch with reality, if I could put it that way? I mean, you can answer that question. Well, you know, I mean, I've had people have unity experiences and mystical experiences, and I remember people walking and say, what am I going to do, spend all my days in a cave, you know, staring at my navel? (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, you know what, if I could be in a blissful state of unity every day and all the time, if I were abiding in that place, I guess I wouldn't care whether I was in a cave or where I was, because I'm pretty, but you know what, I think for most of us, we're down here to learn lessons, uh, and, and those lessons come in some of those foundational and personal areas. And yet, and, and yet, our ability to learn, to, no, we, we are, in many ways, we're blessed, most of us in the United States. I mean, I grew up poor, so I know what it's like to be worrying about food and shelter and stuff. But at the same time, you know, the idea that we can go do psychotherapy and, you know, and try to deal with, like, you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. we're dealing with some of these higher order stuff. But there's lots of people in the world who don't have the luxury or blessing to be able to start even having a conversation about this stuff because they're still trying to stay alive and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. find food and provide shelter for themselves. So, so you know, it just depends on what needs your attention at a given time. But, but life can be very simple, and, and uh, blessed is that old saying, um, before enlightenment, uh, what is it, carry wood, chop wood, chop carry wood, water, yeah. after enlightenment, chop wood, carry yeah, water. So yeah. you just, it's a shift. It's an internal shift. Yeah, and, and, and I do understand that because once you've gone through that shift, uh, before you go through the sh- shift, you're chopping wood, carrying water, and maybe grumbling. After you go through the shift, you, you're chopping wood and carrying water, and you're okay. You're like, oh, I get it. You're whistling while you work. Yeah, exactly. This guy's happy. He's got this basic, basic job, and he seems he's got to, what did he figure out? What did they figure out? You know, how come they're so happy and they're so, you know, and you say, well, you know, maybe their life's less complicated. And they found that the true, 
you know, truer path to happiness is, is, a, is a life that's more simplified. But, you know, you could be happy in a very complicated life, yeah. too, except, yeah. except a lot of those distractions can drive us away from balance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I was thinking while you were talking, because I have this with some of my clients. I'm sorry about talking about all of you out there this morning. <laughs> You're all on my heart and mind. But, um, you know, I do have people that come and they're like, wow, I have everything, Loretta. I really have nothing to be complaining about. And yet I, I just have no meaning to life. What's the meaning? Why? What's the point? Yeah. Right. And that's the existential area. I get that all the time, too. And by the way, to all your clients who are listening, I learn from my clients. I mean, I this is I am like in my seventh decade here, and I'm realizing that so much of what I have been able to articulate in my book is because of the many clients yes. who have taught me. So, you know, I have nothing but respect for their challenges, and I certainly have been on the other side of the couch and struggled with my own crises in life. I probably will have more to go before I get out of this one. But in, in, in many ways, they teach us. So, yeah, but, you know, it's uh, it, 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 it's how we learn, I think. It just gets our attention and and, um, and and that's how we learn. And we, the existential area is, you know, I get people all the time who come in and say, you know, I got everything. I got my car, I got my house, got my you know, whatever. And however, I feel this this emptiness. And I'll say, and they'll say, but I feel like I'm going through a midlife crisis. It's so cliche. And I'll say, it's only become cliche because it's real. Mm-hmm. And things that are so common, sometimes you think, oh well, just because I'm having a midlife crisis, it's valid. It's difficult when you go through a time in your life where you've been nose to the grindstone and you get everything you thought was going to make you happy but you're not completely fulfilled. So there's where you have a little bit of a shift to, okay, what are the other dimensions of myself that are not getting attention? Mm -hmm. And it may very well be in the transpersonal. Yeah, and thank you also for uh, pointing out that uh, I like you. Actually, I I love people, and my clients, (laughs) I'm always uh, honest about the fact that when I'm helping them, I'm helping myself. I'm like, oh, this person's going through the same thing I'm going through. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Yeah, it is. So I am always um, humbled by it and grateful that um, I have the same kind of uh, reaction and uh, with my clients, you know, that they teach me all the time, help, help make it better. Um, now, you've done a lot of research on uh, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, psychic phenomena, the survival of consciousness, you know, things like that. And uh, what... I'm assuming that a lot of that has played into the writing of this book, the understandings. Well, you know what? One of my first one of my first challenges when I was in my doctoral program was um, a young man walking into the counseling center where I was doing my internship, and who had previously had an NDE. But when he came into the intake process, he told people, "I think I'm the angel of death." And everybody oh. said, "Well, we got a live one here," and you know, <laughs> and then he, and then, and, and this is 1978, oh, yeah. so it was just really like only a couple of years after Raymond Moody, who, by the way, was from Charlottesville, wrote the book Life After Life, and mm-hmm. and then he started, and then the intake person said, "You know, this guy said something about, you know, he almost died in an accident. He was able to watch the rescue team come, and he was outside his body, and I think he's, you know, possibly psychotic." And I said, and I heard that, I thought, "Oh, that's interesting." And then they said, "He thinks that he." has these dreams and these things happen to him and now he's worried that he's the angel of death so i said i'll pick him up you know i looked at my supervisor and they said you know go ahead and i thought this is going to be challenging now because i'm in a conventional phd program in clinical psychology but i'm fascinated because this guy's bringing some stuff in that's out of that paranormal ramp well learn turns out he indeed did have an nde i told him about the book he wasn't aware of the ndes i had already heard about astral projection and and out-of-body experiences and 
you know, read the Tibetan Book of the Dead and the Rosicrucian training I had had, you know, alerted me to that and was trying to make sense out of all this stuff even then. And he all, and what I came to find is one of my colleagues and friends here at UVA, uh, Bruce Grayson, was right down the road at University of Michigan, and he was doing research to show that people who have NDEs also seem to seem to free up their capacity for psychic abilities. It's almost like a, the tether of their mind to their body loosens a little bit in the NDE, and they're more open to transpersonal experiences. And that's exactly what happened to this guy. So he had a couple of premonitions, dreams, precognitions, and and um, of people in his family dying, and indeed they did. And he had a very validated experience, because back in 1978 or 9, I think, there was a um, uh, the president of Italy, Aldo Moro, was missing. And uh, this guy wakes up one morning and says to his roommate, I think I know where they're going to find his body. And he said he told him it was going to be in the back of a car, uh, in the trunk of a car, dead. And indeed, two days later, that's what happened. So now he's definitely got validation that he's got some precognitive abilities so for him, and then he was worried because he was fearful that his fiance was going to die because he was having those thoughts and visions, and, and she didn't, but he was conflicted about getting married, and he wasn't sure what the heck was a premonition, what was just the fear, wish, come, you know, confusion, because he wanted to not get married, but he didn't want his fiance to actually die, and that's kind of a conventional problem we deal mm-hmm. with on occasion in therapy. Um, and so it really required that I disentangle it, and that was my first experience with saying, okay, what is crazy, which he wasn't. And I had lived in a house with schizophrenics two years before that oh. for about a year and a half as part of my clinical training. Um, and I said, I know schizophrenics, and that, this guy does not feel psychotic to me. So um, so I eventually presented him to my, uh, my, the team of people who oversaw my work, and they actually, my supervisors, both pointed me in the direction of Charlottesville, two of them. One said, have you heard of the Monroe Institute down around Charlottesville? The other person, you know, I sort of shared with my clinical supervisor that I was interested in reincarnation and near-death studies and all that stuff. She said, well, you've got to get down to Charlottesville and go see these people at the University of Virginia. And, and I have to say that that, that was pr- pretty um, influential in my mm-hmm. coming to this area to live 40 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. That's a great, that's a great uh, life direction story. I like, I like that. Mm-hmm. And you are on a, yeah. a place on the planet, we talked about this briefly, uh, where there's a lot of things going on. You know, the Monroe Institute there, your research thing, places there. So we're down to like less than a minute. Uh, Frank, how can people find you? And um, any last words? Well, they can find me by just going to frankpasciutti.com. They just spell that last name right, uh, P-A-S-C-I-U-T-I. They'll get to my website and you'll see you know, information about the book and information about how I do therapy and how to get a hold of me if they wanted to email me. And, um, yeah, you know, I hope that for those who the book, the book speaks to, they'll pick it up and, and they'll see what they can learn from it. Wonderful. Thank you. This is Loretta Brown, my guest today, Dr. Frank Paschuti, his book, Chrysalis Crisis, How Lives or Deals Can Lead to Personal and Spiritual Transformation. And thank you so much for being on the show, my Virgo friend. And everybody out there, bathe in Virgo. Yay, dancing with Virgo. We'll talk to you next time.